Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 140, Lexington and Concord. Major General Gage had, by 1775, been in North America for two decades. It had been 20 years since he took part in the Fort Duquesne expedition. He knew the colonies better than a few of the British, and he spent the early months of 1775 clutching at straws in the desperate hope that the war would be easier than he expected. He had given up thinking that there would be no conflict at all. There would be fighting in Massachusetts. He just hoped that New York would stay loyal, providing a stable platform for defence. Gage made what preparations he could. The Indian superintendents were to keep the Americans from forming an alliance with them, and better yet, to have them ready to attack the frontiers of troublesome colonies. Other officials were instructed to keep their eyes open. Captain William Delaplace noticed American civilians displaying undue interest in his fort, which controlled the route between Canada and New York. Fort Ticonderoga. Troops were dispatched to various locations around Massachusetts. Officers would walk around the countryside in civilian clothing, learning the lay of the land and preparing for long marches. Massachusetts was a tinderbox, ready to be set alight, and the place most people were expecting to spark trouble was the Provincial Congress of Massachusetts, which met initially at Cambridge in February, and then later in Concord, a town 20 miles west of Boston. The two men Gage wanted most, who had already been declared guilty of treason, were Sam Adams and John Hancock, who were hiding in a farmhouse in Lexington, about five miles east of Concord. Gage received his secret orders from London to take action, and a group of 700 men were ferried across Boston Harbour on the night of April 18th, 1775. Their target was a batch of military supplies the Americans had gathered at Concord. They were spotted by a patriot in Boston who raised a signal that the British had begun to move. Paul Revere and William Dawes, two trusted couriers, rode to Lexington with the news. The British are coming. The British are coming. The message was passed along to Concord. Revere became an American folk hero. As the British approached Lexington, they were met by a force of American volunteer militiamen, known as Minutemen, about 75 strong versus the British 700. A shot was fired. Nobody knows which side fired it. In a later poem by Emerson, this was called The Shot Heard Around the World. But anyway, the Redcoats charged and drove back the Minutemen. Eight were killed and ten were wounded. The British pressed on to Concord, but found that most of the supplies had already been removed. They destroyed what they could and then moved back to Boston, harassed by Patriot forces along the way. These were the battles of Lexington and Concord. And with these, the war of American independence had begun. 
The American Revolutionary War can pretty much be broken down into three distinct phases. The first of which covers 1775 and 1776, and focuses on fighting for control of Massachusetts and the invasion of Canada, ending with the Declaration of Independence by the Second Continental Congress. The second phase goes into 1777, and focuses on the battle for New York and New Jersey, and closes with Saratoga. The final stage begins with the French intervention, that ultimately sealed victory, and closes with Yorktown in 1781. The British made a number of mistakes in the war, but one of the biggest, which I've alluded to before, was starting the war now. Gage had been instructed to move against the Patriot forces, which he'd done with the attack on Lexington and Concord, but that had been all he was able to do. He wasn't even able to secure the hills on the Charlestown Peninsula or the Dorchester Heights in the south, both of which were crucial for controlling Boston, as cannon on those positions could bombard the city. Instead, he reached an agreement with the Patriots, where Loyalists could travel into Boston and Patriots could leave. And then he waited. The news from the rest of the colonies was not good. There was a slight positive in Virginia, where the British seized control of Williamsburg, but on May 10th, the Patriots took Fort Ticonderoga, led by Benedict Arnold. They had supplies, and the road to Canada was open. Meanwhile, on May 10th also, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia. The Second Continental Congress, or as I'll now call it, for convenience sake, the Continental Congress, or just Congress, was an even more august body than the first. We'll return to them in a moment, but right now I want to take Gage up to Bunker Hill. Over April and May, Gage received dribs and drabs of reinforcements, until he had about 6,000 men by the middle of June. He also had three major generals, William Howe, Henry Clinton, and John Burgoyne. On June 12th, a pardon was offered to all rebels, aside from Adams and Hancock, not that they were within his grasp anyway, as they were meeting in Philadelphia. As for the Patriots closer to Boston, well, they just laughed at Gage's offer. He wasn't exactly in a strong position. What they did instead was move against the heights on the north side of Boston, Bunker Hill. The four generals had decided that they were now strong enough to take the Charlestown Peninsula and the Dorchester Heights, but the plan leaked, so the Americans decided to take Bunker Hill first. On the night of June 16th, the Patriot forces set out to dig themselves in, where they were spotted on the nearby Breed's Hill on the morning of the 17th. This was a tactical error. Breed's Hill being much more exposed than Bunker Hill. The British ships were able to open fire on the Americans, but this had little effect. The British generals decided to attack. General Clinton proposed that Gage send a detachment to attack the Americans in the rear while they were protected by the ships, but this plan wasn't followed. Instead, the most senior general, Howe, proposed to attack from the north instead of the south. They moved slowly while the Patriots dug themselves in. 
Howe then halted when he saw that the Patriots were reinforced and wanted some of his own. Eventually, Howe attacked the American left and the Redcoats were driven back. A second attack was ordered, and again forced back. Howe regrouped and Clinton rushed from Boston to assist. A third assault was made. Eventually, the militia ran out of ammunition and retreated. It was a Pyrrhic victory for the British. Of the 2,200 redcoats to fight for Howe, there were 1,058 casualties, including 226 fatalities. The victory was so disastrous for the British that in the popular imagination, people think that Bunker Hill was an American victory. Gage called for more reinforcements from London and decided against taking the Dorchester Heights. The Americans were not in a position to place artillery there and he didn't want to risk another victory, particularly not in Boston. He was becoming convinced that British strength could be centralised in New York, but while Gage played the waiting game, the Americans were taking action. Like I said, on May 10th, 1775, the Second Continental Congress met, mostly composed of figures from the First Continental Congress, but with a couple of new faces, including Benjamin Franklin. Congress rejected North's conciliatory resolution and asked George III to find a way to negotiate with his loyal subjects in the Americas. With the formalities out of the way, they next turned to the more pressing question of how they would protect themselves from the British army. They needed to organise. They needed a commander-in-chief. John Hancock thought he had the perfect person in mind. John Hancock. But nobody else agreed. The New England colonies, or states, as I should start to call them now, I guess, had dragged the Americans into this conflict. The commander-in-chief should not be a New Englander. General Artemis Ward wasn't seriously considered for similar reasons, even though he was already commanding Patriot forces in Boston. Also, he was not a military genius by any stretch of the imagination. Charles Lee was a possible contender. He was a lieutenant colonel with a lot of experience in fighting in the colonies. We've mentioned him several times before, but he was a British defector. Congress thought the commander-in-chief should be an American. So, who would they pick? They needed an American who wasn't a New Englander, who had military experience and talent. Ideally, someone who understood American politics and had name recognition. Sometimes the right person is in the right place at the right time. There are two examples of it in American history. The most crucial was Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, and the other, in 1775, happened to be sitting in Philadelphia as a member of the Continental Congress. Everybody, rise up, because here comes the general. George Washington. For the record, this is the point where just about every book on either the American Revolution or American history in general usually goes on a lengthy digression to introduce George Washington into the narrative, but since we've been dealing with him for over 40 episodes at this point, I hope you don't mind me just skipping past that bit. 
Washington, along with the rest of the High Command, travelled to where all the action was happening. Boston. He quickly introduced order to the troops, but quickly realised that there was no hope in moving against Boston without artillery. The British received more reinforcements, but Gage was recalled to England, being made a scapegoat for the plans of those in Whitehall. His replacement as British Commander-in-Chief was General Howe. The situation continued in an uneasy stalemate until February 1776, when Colonel Henry Knox, an able artillery commander, arrived with heavy guns brought with sleds from Fort Ticonderoga in New York. He moved them to the Dorchester Heights on the night of March 4th, and Howe found himself in an uncomfortable position the next morning. They tried to bombard the Americans, but they couldn't reach the Patriot positions. He thought of ordering an assault, but ultimately decided that repeating the disaster of Bunker Hill was something that should be avoided. Howe chose the only sensible option available to him, strategic withdrawal. He made an arrangement with Washington that the British could retreat undisturbed and take a thousand loyalists with them. They embarked on March 17th for Halifax, Nova Scotia, and many of the Loyalists travelled to exile in England, the first refugees of the war. It was a triumph for Washington and the Americans, and is where we shall leave them for this week. Next time, we'll look at the attempted invasion of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.